Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This is the We Are Going Up podcast. We've got the Football League covered. Well, here we go. It is another edition of We Are Going Up, episode 104, to be precise. I'm Mark Crossley. David Cameron Walker is here as ever. He's just finished his sandwich. Yes, I have. And uh, Carl McQueen is here. I've not eaten anything. You've not eaten anything. (laughs) Um, You well, boys? All yeah, good. Yeah, very well. Okay, right. Um, I know you both love a bit of a quiz, so I've got a little quiz to start the show. It's been in the news this week with both Derby County and Bury announcing sponsorship deals for their stadiums, okay. changing their names. So I want to see how well you know you know your rebranded stadiums. Yeah. I've got five here, five names to uh, read out. Um, it's a kind of you've got to shout your name, and I'll come to you. So DC, you shout DC. Carl, you shout Carl, and we'll see who wins. Okay. Stadium number one. Is the one call stadium? DC. Yes, DC. Chesterfield. Incorrect. No, that's the uh, that's the B two net stadium. No, they they've changed it from B two net. It's not incorrect. B2 net anymore, is it? That is Mansfield Town Field Mill. Oh, he's a minus one. Are we doing it like that? Okay. Yeah. I th- I need Stad- that I can... Stadium number two is the store first stadium. That's a new one. Uh, DC. Yes. That's not Chesterfield, is it? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's Accrington Stanley in the Crown Ground. If one of the answers are Chesterfield, take it out now, Mark. <laughs> Question number three, the Abbey Business Stadium. Carl. Yes, Carl? That's uh, Cheltenham Town, isn't it? Correct. Wadden Road. Ah, that's, that's a home advantage, really. Question four, the Checkertrade.com Stadium. <laughs> what? <laughs> it's real. It exists. It's a football league ground. Uh, Checkertrade. Any suggestions? Would it? No, it could have been a recent city. Is it, Carl? Is it like Newport? It is. Crawley Town, the Broadfield Stadium. It is the Checkertrade.com Stadium. And the last one I've got here, the Cherry Red Record Stadium. DC. Oh, Carl got in there first. AFC Wimbledon. (laughs) Correct. What's the the original ground there called? King's Meadow. Yeah, he's got it. Uh, McQueen's claimed the victory. We'll return to that topic. Yeah, what's Chesterfield? (laughs) It is. I believe it's the. Is it the Pro Act? I think. Let me have a check. Pro Act Stadium is. Yeah, it is a Pro Act Stadium. There you go. We'll return to that topic later in the show, and we'll also again be urging you to cash your vote for us in the awards ceremony of the year. Forget the Oscars, the Brits, the Golden Globes, all that stuff. It's all about the Football Supporters Federation Awards 2013 and we need your support we're also going to be speaking later in the show with Dave Said and the Preston report for the Lancashire Evening Post uh, Preston became the first team in League One this season to stop Leighton Orient scoring when they won 1-0 at the Matchroom Stadium or is it Brisbane Road on Saturday so we'll speak to Dave later uh, Simon Grayson side up to fifth in the table but we are going to start down in League 2 it's been a dismal week uh, for Torquay at Playmore uh, they were beaten 2-0 uh, by Rochdale in the FA Cup last weekend and they followed that up with a 2-0 home defeat to Chesterfield a result that puts them into the relegation zone with just three league wins all season now the voice of rock and roll football on Absolute Radio you. 
<laughs> no, after me on a Saturday at 1.30, it is rock and roll football. Uh, Jim Prayerfoot is Absolute Radio's matchday commentator. He's worked across TV and radio for years and years. But what you might not know is that Jim is a huge Talker United fan and he was there on Saturday with it being international weekend at the Chesterfield game and we're delighted to say that he joins us down the line right now. Jim, thank you very much for coming on the show. Firstly, tell us what you made of that display from Talkie on Saturday because I know from your, your Twitter feed you were far from pleased. Yeah, I must get out of the habit of tweeting from games because I'm not ever particularly objective <laughs> about it or the, the, it's never constructive criticism, the bile that's, that spews forth on my timeline on Twitter at, at various stages. But we were very poor. A lot of people have said that this is the worst Torquay side they've ever seen. I actually wouldn't go that far, but I think that what is most worrying is the speed of the decline. 18 months ago, we were in the playoffs. Should have been promoted that season, really. Uh, the year before that, we were also in the playoffs, got to the playoff final. Now, we're in the bottom two, and I'm, I'm going to defy anybody to say we're not the worst side in the division. I know, Mark, that we beat your lot <laughs> you did. Um, at Gig Lane the other week, but I, I still think that play that game another 10 times, we'd probably only win it uh, once or twice. And you can't, as a, as a pessimistic supporter... I can't see a way out of it. I, I don't know what I would do. If I was Alan Neil, the manager, I don't know what I would do to change things around, but it's, the whole thing's a mess. You've, you haven't had a shot on target in the last two games, both of which... Oh, do you uh, know something? Home. That is that is incorrect. And I know okay. it's been put out by Opta. Opta said, oh, yeah, you didn't have a shot against Rochdale and didn't have a shot against um, Chesterfield. We had one shot against Chesterfield on target. It was from 40 yards. <laughs> I almost had time to run down from my seat and save it myself. I don't think Opta counts shot shots from target. 40 yards as shots on target, I don't think. <laughs> well, it, it, it was probably nothing. It was, in fairness to Nathan Craig, it wasn't much more than a back pass to Tommy Lee, their, their goalkeeper. Um, but no, we, so one shot in two games. It's appalling, isn't it? And then that's that's the problem. We now again in fairness, after thirty seconds, we should have scored. And had that gone in, obviously the the whole game changes because Chesterfield hadn't won a league game since September. They're then playing against the side in the bottom four and they're losing inside a minute. And you think that Torquay might have been able to build from that. Certainly when the the first goal went in, we were arguably the better side in the first fifteen minutes, but it was a bad individual error that led to the first goal. Four minutes later, we shoot ourselves in the foot again. You're two down after 20 minutes with no confidence. There was absolutely no way we were ever going to score, let alone win from there. And it's a problem. We play some very nice football, but it gets to a stage where I don't particularly want to be entertained. I just want us to win games. And I know that you shouldn't necessarily sacrifice your footballing principles, particularly a third of the way through the season, but something has to happen. And it gets to the stage where the youngsters in the side are panicking in possession and they're just whacking it forward long to a forward two who are both under six foot and who aren't equipped to be able to beat big, ugly lead two centre-halves in the air. Consequently, the, the ball comes straight back. Chesterfield won all the second ball. They were turning over possession very easily. And they won very, very comfortably. Uh, you said something's got to happen. And you said if, if you're the manager, Alan Neil, you, you don't know what you'd do. I mean, that leads me to believe that perhaps the thing to do is to get rid of the manager, Alan Neil. He's only won seven games of the 33 that he's had in charge of the club. Lost 16, so it's almost half of the games in, he's been in charge of. He's lost. Uh, so surely it's time for him to go, isn't it? It's very difficult for me to uh, to be objective as a as a sort of a journalist, if you like, and say, yeah, he should go. But as a fan, I can't come to any other conclusion. 
we stayed up last season. Alan, I'm sure, would say it was because of him that we stayed up. <laughs> uh, many people think it's despite him that we stayed up and we shouldn't have been down in the position we are in in the first place. He inherited an unholy mess. I'm not trying to pretend anything. He did come in in awkward circumstances, didn't he? Yes, and that's not his fault. And I've got absolutely no problem with the fact that he took the job when it was when it was offered to him because everybody would have done exactly the same. I, I have no um, truck against Alan on a, on a personal basis. I would rather Martin Ling was our manager. And I think most supporters would think that. Uh, he was very harshly dealt with um, for footballing reasons, was the quote at the time. Now, you'll be aware that Martin had had some time off work ill and when he was in a position to come back to the club, our League 2 main status having been maintained, I think that he should have been given the opportunity to pick up where he left off. But it was deemed that because presumably because the team were lower mid-table when he when he went off sick, that we were in a steady decline. We ended up finishing, I think it was 20th. Well, we're now 23rd and we're only off the bottom on goal difference. Things are getting worse. The players that have been brought in aren't good enough. He brought in last season, Joss Labadee on loan from Notts County. He was a revelation. Unfortunately, he was so good that County then offered him a contract and he was about to become a free agent. So, um, you know, good for Joss, but bad for us. He's brought in Jordan Chappell, who's an excellent player. I don't think any of the other signings he's made have been up to the mark. And the problem, again, that he's inherited rather than one that is of his own making is that the senior pros are getting long in the tooth and they're not as effective as they once were. He's had a few injuries as well. And these are all uh, factors that are contributing to the current malaise. And I just think, and you're absolutely right, with the record, seven wins in 33 tells its own story. That isn't good enough. And I think that it, it is time for a change to be made. Do you think the players are feeling it too, Jim? I know uh, the captain, Lee Mansell, came out a couple of weeks ago speaking to local radio saying about the amount of abuse some of the players are getting on Twitter. Do you think the players are feeling the pressure, even the experienced ones that you mentioned are getting a little too long in the tooth? Well, I'm sure that everybody feels pressure. He's a, he's a legend at Torquay, Lee. He's played, um, he's in the top 10 uh, appearance makers of all time. Uh, he's a player who's... Uh, contribution cannot be overstated. He's been part of one of the um, the most successful sides that we've had in recent times. Uh, his desire to win football matches is evident for all to see and I'm a huge admirer of him as a, a footballer and I can't pretend I know him as a bloke but the, the dealings that I've had with him, he's a, a top, top guy as well. But I think at the moment he is not the force that he was when he was in his late 20s. He's in his early 30s now. And I think he would be the first to admit that when you've played 500 games in your career, your best days are probably behind you. Now, he was one of the Torquay players that I think didn't come out tarnished by, by what had happened. He'd been played back out of position at right back rather than his favoured central midfield role. And that was because Dale Tong, our, our normal right back, had, had been dropped. So... Alan Neal can't be accused of not trying things, but I think the players are feeling the pressure. And inevitably, when you're two down after two abysmal individual errors, it's understandable that the heads are going to drop. The experienced players, and there aren't that many players with experience in that side, aren't going to be able to lift the youngsters. We've got youngsters the likes of Jack McCourt on loan from Leicester. Hasn't played any senior first-team football before he started this loan spell. So he's not used to to being in sides that are down, scrapping for their, their football league status. So I've got no problem with the fact that he perhaps isn't being able to show the, the kind of football that I'm sure he's been able to show 
for the, the Leicester youth teams and reserve teams over the last few years. But it just needs a fresh injection from somewhere along the line. The players that are being brought in by necessity are youngsters without a great deal of experience. We need some experienced old heads to come in and, and change things around. Now, he's tried to do that with Carl Hawley. He played him out of position on Saturday as a number 10. It simply didn't work. Uh, it, w- it was a frightening experiment in many ways. Um, but you can't fault Alan for trying. He is trying everything, but it just isn't working. And I've no doubt that you're absolutely right, that the individual pressure on players to perform is massive. And it just becomes a spiral, doesn't it? We, we were like this 20 years ago. We had a season like this where we finished miles bottom. And the only reason that we didn't get relegated out of the league was because Stevenage's ground at the time uh, wasn't fit for league football. So they didn't come up. But this is the worst Torquay side since then, without, without a shadow of a doubt. And from what I can remember of that year, you just cannot get out of, out of the malaise that no. you're in. Every time you set foot on the field, you're expecting to lose. You, you commit an error. We're not scoring goals, so as soon as you commit an error, you go one nil down. That's it. You know you can't win. Well, no, it's just thirty-five goals in thirty-three games in total under Alan Nil. Is that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I've noticed a lot of the online chatter um, surrounds Chris Hargreaves, Jim, who I believe was at the ground uh, in the stands on Saturday. Should we read anything into that? Yeah, I was as well, though. And uh, in fact, my four-year-old daughter was there. There won't be a point in her. So <laughs> I don't know. I, I would like to see Greavesy as the Torquay manager sometime. But if you're looking at it from from the, from the a realistic perspective of the owners, they've got an experienced manager. It's not working, but he's, he, but he's had a, um, a, a managerial career, probably where his fourth league club, I would think. Now, Chris Hargreaves has been coaching the junior teams at Bournemouth. If they sacked Alan Nill and brought Chris Hargreaves in, and again, he's, he's someone else that I think is fantastic, but he's got no managerial experience. So if you brought him in now, and it all went wrong, or it didn't instantly all go right, that is a massive decision, and it looks like a horrendous mistake. That It would just be a massive gamble bringing Greaves back to the club now. To, to give uh, Alan Neil perhaps uh, some green shoots of hope, uh, the last two games you've played was uh, Chesterfield at the, uh, the weekend, Rochdale the week before in the FA Cup, the teams that lie second and third in, in League Two. Next weekend, you've got Accrington Stanley, who are a team one place above you, level on points. Although they've picked up a bit of form, this is an opportunity to you know really galvanise a place and get a result that could you know spark a, a, a reversal of your fortunes. And it's the nature of, of football and supporting particularly relatively unsuccessful sides that things are either fantastic or they're really (laughs) mediocre and there's nothing in between and if we speak this time next week and we've got a scruffy 1-0 victory at Accrington the table will look much better and those green shoots of recovery would be there I think it would only paper over the cracks realistically I mean Alan would say and he did in his programme notes at the weekend we have been playing better football than the form and the results suggest well if that really is the case Accrington away is a game that we have to be winning. If, if we were to lose on Saturday, then I I could honestly make a case for us not getting back out the bottom two all season. And it really pains me to say that. I've, I sound like the, the type of football supporter who I have vilified it, uh, you know, on phone-ins for you know, the last 10, 15 years. But it's it, when it's your club, it's horrible. It's, there's, no, there's no describing it. And it's not Chesterfield at home that's going to make our season. It is Accrington away, Accrington at home, Northampton at home. We've already won at Northampton, we've already won at Bury, and those are two massive results. At the end of the season, they could be absolutely crucial. But this Saturday 
is monumental for us. We go into it with no confidence and no form. Accrington, as you say, dead and buried after eight weeks of the season, now are out of the relegation zone because they're winning games and they brought experienced players in to help them do it. And I think that's what we need to do. We can find them when you're on a geographical limb is not easy. Yeah. Well, we completely uh, wrote Accrington off, didn't we, about three weeks ago and look at them flying. I told, oh, you, yeah, I told you not to. <laughs> um, Jim, I was going to uh, ask about Alan Hill because it's a bit bit of a weird one for me, this, because he did a great job at my club uh, before leaving in sort of acrimonious circumstances. Then he went to Scunthorpe. He had a horrible time there and he's had a horrible time at Torquay. What's happened to him in the last two years? Well, I don't know. I mean, you hear all kinds of rumours. Has he lost the dressing room? Do the, the senior pros get on with him? Um, is he is he settled in the area? Now, I I don't have any insight. Um, I, I don't have any ins at the club anymore, and I I don't know whether these uh, this is just spurious um, rumour making or what. I don't know, but there seems to be a little bit too much speculation uh, that things aren't right. That might just be a, a product of the fact that the results are very poor. I don't know what it is. I mean, all, all I would say really is that Alan, like any manager who's under pressure, it's very easy to pick holes in substitutions when you support us and hindsight is a wonderful thing. But I would look at some of the changes he's made in the games that I've seen this season and they were not changes that were obvious what he was trying to do at the time. I think that the players that he signed have not proved to be successful. He came out with a, a quote, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing, the last thing I want to do is put words into his mouth, but it was along the lines of when, when he took the job, uh, he admitted that because he'd been based in the North throughout his managerial career, he didn't have a good enough knowledge of players based in the South. Now, that might well be the case, but he shouldn't have said it. Because when you're in Torquay, and you kind of setting yourself up as only being able to attract players who are, who are living in Nottingham or further north. That is a very, very difficult thing to do. And certainly the players that he signed, Hawley, he worked with at Scunthorpe, uh, Mazika, he had at Scunthorpe, and I think um, Marky had him at Berry as yeah. well. He did. Might be a good signing. Probably if he can get him fit, he probably would be a good signing. He's chronically unfit at the moment and was breathing out of his backside after 60 minutes on Saturday, but had to play the full 90. Um, he signed... Uh, young strikers on on um, you know McCourt on loan from Leicester. He has signed McCallum and Aziz, uh, youngsters with limited first team experience on loan from London clubs. But I would say that his record in the transfer market has been poor. And when you've got a budget as limited as Torquay's, you can't really afford to get it wrong. You have to get it right. Three out of every four players that you sign have got to be have got to be effective and. His record isn't anything like as good as that at the moment, Jim. I mean, I, I can almost predict your answer to this already, given what you were just saying about how passionate you, you know, we all get about our own clubs. But do you th- perhaps think that Torquay was spoilt a little bit by the, the finishes under Paul Buckle and Martin Ling, the near misses in the playoffs? Perhaps you know, is it more likely that a club su- the size of Torquay, the budget, the geographical restrictions you've just mentioned, that you are you know going to have the odd season where you are struggling, in, you know, mid lower mid table in League Two, you may stay up, you may go down. This is perhaps about your level no I think that's a great point um, I, I, my argument would be that that's not quite our level um, that maybe our level is 15th 16th 17th in League 2 would be about right for the size of the club we are uh, we might not actually have the, the 17th biggest budget in League 2 it might be a little bit less than that but there's no doubt that we were spoiled 
getting relegated out of the league the last time was one of the best things that could have happened to the club, again, with the benefit of hindsight, because they made such a good job of rebuilding it. I think only three players were retained from the squad that went down and they started again. And they could build build a squad with the likes of Nicholson, of Hargreaves, Tim Sills, bringing players in who could do a job at conference level. And then having picked up a bit of momentum with a couple of top four finishes and a Wembley, two Wembley appearances, we then were a decent league side again because they were used to winning and they kept the nucleus of that squad together. Now, that undoubtedly makes seasons like this one even more tougher to tolerate because we were overperforming. There's no doubt about it. We were overperforming and punching above our weight and you get used to that. That then becomes the norm. And a reality check once in a while probably is no bad thing. But I think that this has sort of gone too far. You consider that 12 months ago, we were about seventh. We were on the verge of the playoffs. Uh, the league table at that stage, or certainly in a few weeks' time, was a little bit inaccurate because so many games had been postponed and it was all, well, if we if, if they win their games in hand, they'll, get, they'll do this, they'll do that. So it was a little bit difficult to say. But having been on the verge of the playoffs, to now be where we are in such a short space of time, is very, very difficult to, to stomach for the supporters. And that, I think, it's it's not the fact that we're playing so badly. It's the enormous magnitude of the decline and the speed at which it's happened and the fact that it seems as though it can't be stopped, which is making it hard to take. And yes, undoubtedly, we are, in reality, a lower mid-table uh, or, or bottom third side in League Two. That's where we should be uh, in the grand scheme of things. But when you're down there, it still hurts. <laughs> it does. Um, Jim, while we've got you on, um, obviously you uh, cover and commentate on a lot of Premier League games every single week. Um, we, we might as well ask you about the three sides that came up from the Championship last season. We spent a large proportion of last year talking about them. Uh, Cardiff, Palace and Hull. Um, you've probably seen all three uh, this season out of the three of them. Yeah. Uh, which side do you think has got the best chance of, uh, of staying up? Well, it's easy to write one of them off. Um, <laughs> and then of the other two, I would have to say Hull. And I think that the reason that I would go against Cardiff is because I think that there are probably major problems behind the scenes. I mean, the, Malky Mackay was on Crystal Palace's shopping list. They wanted to get him there to reunite him with Ian Moody, who was Malky's technical director, who, of course, has uh, left Cardiff in famous circumstances. Hull, I think, have done a very good job. They know what they are. They're a very functional side. They're happy to play five at the back at times. They're happy to win games by getting penalties and then holding on for dear life at the other end. They're good from set pieces in both penalty areas, which always helps. They're not going to finish in the top 12, but I think Steve Bruce has done a really good job. Cardiff seemingly spent over the odds on players over the summer, haven't really performed as well as they should have done. And I think that at home, whereas last season they were magnificent, they're just getting found out in the Premier League. Palace have got too much to do already and appointing a new manager would be a good place to start. I think Alan it... Nil might be it. Might be <laughs> Let's make it happen. Um, and I should sort of point out at this point that we've got uh, Hull against Crystal Palace uh, live yeah. on Absolute Radio on Rock and Roll Football this Saturday from 1.30. All the build-up uh, from uh, half one and Jim will be in the commentary box of Ian Wright afterwards. Jim, thank you very much for coming on and speaking to us. We appreciate thank it. Thank you for the invitation, fellas. I hope I haven't depressed you too much. I've just got right. shoelaces on the way up. We'll pick ourselves up. Um, next, we're going to turn our attention to League One and talk a little bit of Preston.
Right, so to the northwest then, where Simon Grayson is putting together yet another push at promotion to the championship, this time with Preston North End. Uh, the Lily Whites recorded a superb 1-0 win at Leighton Orient on Saturday, making them the first team uh, to stop Orient from scoring in the league this season. The first side to win away at Brisbane Road since February. Also extended that unbeaten run to six games. It keeps them right in amongst the playoff pack. Dave Seddon is a lifelong North End fan and he also happens to be the Preston reporter for the Lancashire Evening Post. And we're pleased to say that he joins us on the phone right now. Dave, thanks very much for coming on. Let's start with uh, Saturday, if we can. You were there. What a result that was. Did uh, Preston deserve the three points? Yeah, it was a great result. And I think uh, you could say they definitely deserved the three points. I think uh, Orient didn't have the first chance until sometime in the second half. Preston just got the game plan right. Everything worked for him well on the day. He scored of a cracking goal and held on quite comfortably. Let's speak about that goal. What a goal. Uh, Joe Garner, this brilliant right-footed volley. Anyone who's not seen it should uh, check it out. And uh, I believe he scored four goals in his last three games. Yeah, he has. Yeah, he's actually our top scorer now with five. We've spread the goals uh, quite sort of evenly throughout the squad. But um, he scored a last-minute equaliser against Tranmere after coming on as a sub a couple of weeks ago. Uh, his reward was a start against Barnett in the FA Cup when he scored twice. And he started um, He started on Saturday. He's a Preston fan, actually. He's brought up in uh, Wally, just out up in the Lancashire countryside there. So uh, he's a lifelong North End fan. And uh, I think uh, if he hadn't have been scoring that goal, he would probably have been in with the away fans. <laughs> he's definitely a player that's got some talent, Joe Garner. I, I saw him at, at Watford and it never really went for him there. But he showed in flashes that he's got ability and he has had some success you know, at Carlisle and other places. So it's good to see him having a good season. But to talk about some other players that have were more recently come in, uh, the loan signings of Paul Gallagher uh, and Neil Kilkenny, who uh, worked with uh, Grayson at Leeds when he had his success there at Leeds as part of that midfield there. Uh, so a good bit of experience to bring into it to a club that is starting to get a, a good bit of form together at the right time. Yeah, the loan signings, I think uh, they're just going to raise the bar a little bit. You know, the, the squad's been, you know, done really well. They've only lost twice in all, all season. But I think it just needed, you know, just a little bit more quality added to it, a little bit more know-how. Paul Gallagher's coming from Leicester, plenty of experience in the Championship. This is actually his second loan spell at Preston. He came six years ago when he was a Blackburn player. Probably didn't have the best of loan spells there. We didn't see the best of him. But obviously over the last six years, he's matured as a player got plenty more experience, played at a higher level and he's come back in his first three games he looked a real class act. Kilkenny just came on as a sub last seven or eight minutes at Orient. He's just been there, a little bit more creativity in the midfield, you know, spot a pass, maybe, you know, add, add a goal or two from there. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, the uh, Grayson's built very sensibly there, bringing those two in. What are the expectations amongst the Preston fans this season? Because obviously you've got Orient, who've absolutely flown out of the blocks. You've got Wolves, who are now top of the league, huge club. Peterborough have been doing really well. Is the expectation that playoffs is the best the club can achieve or is it more a sense of we can still get automatic promotion? I think the aim of the club, you know, at the start of the season was promotion, you know, in one form or another, whether that be automatic or the playoffs. Obviously, as you say, the three clubs you mentioned there, um, Orient, Peterborough and um, Wolves have started very well. But, you know, Preston sort of brought Orient back into the pack a bit by beating them on Saturday. Um, so, we're, what are we? We're just going into the second third of the season now. So, still a long way to go, I've, you know, I, I don't think Preston should give up on automatic promotion. Maybe the playoffs are a bit more realistic, but uh, we just, you know, the club just needs to get back to the championship sooner rather than later, for you know financial reasons and uh, 
you know, just get back on a, on a, a good foot in that way. I noted as well, though, uh, Dave, you have actually dropped points to a couple of teams which you wouldn't perhaps expect in recent games as well, drawing against Tranmere, uh, losing against Crew at home, for example. So, in theory, you could already be up with amongst Wolves and later Norrins who've had excellent starts as well. Um, is there an element of inconsistency about the team? A lot of draws you've had this season already, six. Um, mm-hmm. or, you know, is that going to be a bit of a frustration come the end of the season? It's just been mainly mainly at home. We've just got a bit frustrated recently. Crew came last month and won two nil, and really they, they, they sat. You know they got an earliest goal and then sat back, and we just didn't have on the day. We didn't have the creativity to break him down. Same with Tranmere again. They took the lead, and it was only a last minute equaliser which got us a draw against them. Not too many draws. You know, away from home we've won five. We've got a couple of draws and only one defeat. Uh, I think we're quite consistent in the fact we're not getting beat very often. But uh, it's, it's a long season. We've done, we've done quite well against the other sides up there. We drew against Wolves on the opening day of the season. Got a draw against MK Dons. We lost at Peterborough. That was a disappointment. Played uh, played really badly in the first half at Peterborough. But no, I think, you know, it's, it's, it's too early to say that, you know, the odd result in September or October might cost us come May. Uh, the big real sort of marquee signing, if you like, by Preston standards uh, in the summer was Kevin Davies uh, signing him on a free transfer after he left Bolton. We had him on actually uh, just uh, ahead of the ahead of the season, one of our first shows this year, and you know he sounded like he was very enthusiastic, really up for the challenge of playing uh, in League One with Preston. And how's he been so far? Kevin's been fine. He's um, you know his goal records maybe not what some people might have expected. He's only got the two so far. But Simon Grayson wanted to bring him in for um, his experience, his leadership, his know-how. You saw him against Orient on Saturday. He led the line very well. You know, he was canny with little things he did. He, he dropped off the link play between the midfield and the attack. Um, you know, he's a physical presence as well. But I think sometimes in this level, you do need that extra bit of experience. You know, Kevin's played mostly of his career in the Premiership, a little bit in the Championship as well. So he knows what it's all about. As you say, he's the marquee signing in the summer. There were probably four or five championship clubs are after his services. But uh, I think several things worked in Preston's favour. Location with him living in the Bolton region. Didn't want to move the family around. Um, and, you know, Preston offered him a two-year contract. There's a chance to do a little bit of coaching, I think, as, you know, the, the, the months go by. So I, I think it was just a move that suited both parties. And uh, while Davies maybe hasn't scored the goals one or two people might have expected him to, he has contributed in other ways. He's never present in the league so far. Simon Grayson really trusts him, likes to get him out on the pitch, likes to use his, um, his strength up there. Maybe his presence on the pitch is a bit of a distraction for the opposition defenders. Might let whoever plays up front against him get a bit more room. Might get allow someone from the midfield just to drop into a pocket of space, which he creates. So you got to look at him, you know, as that sort of player. Speaking of experience, and for Kevin Davies, I suppose in Simon Grayson, you do have the magic of the experience of getting teams promoted. Compared to when Graham Wesley departed back in February, Dave, just how have the team changed in terms of playing? I mean, obviously, winning more games for a start, which is helping. But just how how much better are they up front and defence? They were much improved size. You only have to look at the record. I think Graham Wesley left 12th or 13th of February, I think. And I think Preston have only lost five in the league since then, probably about seven if you include the cup games. Um, straight after Wesley went, 
Andrea, his assistant, took charge of the uh, the next game as caretaker manager, and they got the bounce straight away and beat Bournemouth two nil. There's sort of been a steady steady improvement since then. Grayson came in and he didn't he didn't make a lot of changes. Um, he didn't bring any any signings in at all last. Uh, you know, last February or March, he, st- he stuck with what he'd got. And, you know, the squad, which was faltering badly, which was sliding down the uh, League One table before Wesley went, Grayson managed to use them, utilise them, and, they, you know, they turned around the form, finished mid-table. And, they, you know, during the summer, he only added three new signings, in, uh, Davis, uh, Chris Humphrey and Tom Clark, renewed Declan Rudd's loan, then he's brought one or two loan signings in. So, you know, the basis of the squad is the same one that they had last season. They just seem a lot more organised using the players properly, round pegs in round holes instead of square pegs in round holes, which it sounds we're getting last season. Final question, Dave. Um, a lot of teams have tried to go to uh, to Orient and win this season, and a lot of them have been blown away. What, what's the secret? I'm not too sure. Preston played, we went most quite a lot this season we've been playing three centre halves three at the back of sort of three four one two system or a three five two previous couple of games we've, we've gone back to a four four two but uh, Simon Grayson went for the three four one two this time and I just thought just having the extra centre half up against Lisby and uh, David Mooney seemed to work quite well I was quite surprised actually that how early Orient started resorting to the the long ball, which doesn't suit Mooney or Lisby at all. They're not that kind of striker. They like to drop in behind. They like to get the ball on the ground and have a have a goal that way. But um, Orient were, you know, pumping a few long balls. What they were taking long throw-ins, and I just think I think um, got a bit impatient too quickly. But I think Orient are a decent side. People keep. I keep hearing this thing, or oh, they'd, be, they'd be like Tramia last year, Tramia stormed <laughs> to the top and then fell away quite badly. But I, I do think Orient are a better side than maybe Tramia were this time last year. Yeah, I, agree. I, still think Ori- I still think Orient will be in and around the playoffs. You know, players have off days, don't they? Teams have off days. You're not telling me that someone like Lisby and Mooney, who scored, what, 12, 13 goals each this season, they're not going to suddenly stop scoring that. You know, they're, they're going to keep, keep the goals coming. I think, I think Cox is a decent player got a decent midfield. I think they're a really good, solid League One side. Don't write them off just because they slipped off the top and lost the game. I think I think they'll be in and around there. Um, I think, you know, it's how you bounce back as well after a defeat. Sometimes uh, sides can react badly and, you know, lose three or four on the bounce. Uh, if Russell Slade can get his players, you know, back together this week, you know, get their heads right and get them out again, I think, I think they can bounce back. Thanks for coming on, Dave. Nice to talk no to you. No problem. That's really Dave Seddon, the Preston report for the uh, Lancashire Evening Post. Uh, right now, it's time for the latest in our My Club series. We're giving fans of all football league sides 125 seconds to tell us about their club to celebrate the 125th anniversary of the Football League. And today, it's all about Oxford United. This is We Are Going Up, My Club in 125 seconds. Hi, my name's George Dugdale, and my club is Oxford United. So, George, do you remember the first Oxford game you ever went to? I went to Oxford United versus Crystal Palace at the Manor. We lost 3-1 and not a lot has changed since that day. (laughs) Do you miss the Manor? I only went once, which is a horrible thing to say. Uh, My boys team football manager took me along and it was the only time I went. I kind of got more into it when we were... We got relegated and kind of the, the pain of that took me back more regularly to the Kassam. So the manner was just a one-off. Do you remember who scored the first ever goal that you saw as an Oxford United fan? That goal was Dean Windass from a free kick. Excellent. And in amongst it, who has been your favourite ever player to play for the U's? It's a difficult one because Dean Whitehead's a bit of a laughing stock since 
he went to Stoke and became a totally different player. But in our eyes, he was a really skillful, creative midfielder who could do things that we weren't used to seeing. So during my time as, as an Oxford fan, which isn't the brightest time in the club's history, Dean Whitehead. Well, speaking about that not being the brightest time in the club's history, what's the worst moment you've had as an Oxford fan? The relegation, uh, the Leighton Orient game. It was possibly the journey home the week before when we'd drawn at Wrexham and just dropping into the bottom two and kind of spending an entire journey on the way home from Wrexham realising that this could be us done. What do you remember of Ramon Diaz? (laughs) (laughs) It was a hell of a lot of fun. Um, We had a lot of players coming in that we'd never heard of. We tried to play a type of football that we'd never really bothered playing before. And it felt like a whirlwind, but we needed a bit of fun to put in Oxford, and that's what that gave us. Do you know why there's only three sides to your stadium? I, I, I'm trying to think of something else to say other than money, but I think money dictated that we're lucky to have three sides. Tell us what you think of James Constable in three words. Oxford United legend. And, of course, we can't have you on without asking you about this current season. You've just gone top of the league. Are you going to finally get out of League 2? Hold that thought right there. My club in 125 seconds. We are going up. We've got the Football League covered. So while we've got George on, we might as well ask him about Saturday. George works for BT Sport, by the way. Um, 3-1 win at Mansfield, Oxford United, top of League 2, even though it is a little bit congested up there at the top. But uh, a great result that on Saturday. Yeah, a brilliant result. We're one of the weirdest teams around in as much as we're phenomenal away from home. Uh, six wins out of eight games away and we can't play at home to save our lives. So you've got a home supporter base who hate going to watch us and then the away fans are seeing a totally different team who are brilliant. So if we can sort the home form out, then we've got half a chance of staying up there because there's nothing in League 2 that's particularly scary. Why do you think that is then? Why are you so bad at home? Well, last year we were equally poor at home and we blamed it on having a really poor pitch. Uh, We share with London Welsh and we blamed it on that, but I think it might be slightly more deep-rooted than that. Um, It's now a real psychological thing whereby fans don't believe we can win at home. That's got to rub off on the players and possibly just playing away from home being able to counter-attack suits is far better. I've got to ask about Chris Wilder as well, George, as well. He's been in charge for nearly five years now. And, you know, that's an awfully long time for a football league manager, but managers have been sacked for less from clubs in, in League Two. So why do you think Oxford have kept faith with him for so long? And it's starting to pay off, but what do you think they've done so? Well, personally, it's something I'm really proud of that we've stuck with a manager because so many clubs are so quick to boot managers out the door. And I think when you've got a manager who knows how to get you out of one league and you've played some really good football compared to what we've been used to as Oxford fans, I think we'd be daft to try and force a manager out who we know knows how to get out of any division because we haven't had that many over the years that have got out of anything. So if he can adapt, which he appears to be doing and get us out of League Two, then he'll have done a phenomenal job. Uh, you mentioned uh, the fact that you consider him to be a legend in, in the little My Club bit, uh, but James Constable scored his 100th goal for Oxford uh, at the weekend. Uh, just how good has he been for Oxford over the years? It's one of those where I don't think we quite appreciate how good he has been until you get to one of these milestones when he breaks a record or when he gets the, overtakes one of the top scorers because he's now up to joint second in the all-time list of Oxford top scorers, which is... An incredible effort, really. Um, he's been top scorer for the last five seasons and you kind of dread to think where we'd be without him. We knew he was a good non-league striker when he came in, but he's found a proper home in Oxford United. He's got this bond with the fans that's been brilliant and scoring goals in playoff semi-finals, finals and against Swindon Town doesn't half help to endear you to the fans. So 
I, I dread to think where we'd be without him. We should we should have mentioned actually that Carl is a, a Swindon. Yeah, yeah we didn't mention that bit too. Swindon have tried to sign him several times since that I think have, he's from uh, Swindon originally. You want to come on if we told you that, would no. you? <laughs> he wouldn't I'd, have I'd, I'd, I'd have just uh, addressed some of the questions slightly differently. But, um. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I notice he's just seven goals away now, isn't he, from the uh, the all-time uh, top scorer, he is, yeah. Graham Atkinson. So that's going to be a, a big moment when that finally comes. It will be, yeah. It's um, he's at, technically it feels like he's on 103 because he scored a hat trick against Chester the season they went pop, and all of their results were wiped off the chart. So that hat trick didn't actually count. So that's a, a great pub, pub quiz bit of knowledge, that isn't it? It is. Um, and he was he was on a talk sport this morning, and he made a very valid point that his three goals got taken away, but his booking didn't. So he picked up a suspension <laughs> the week after. Brilliant stuff. George, thanks very much for coming on and speaking to no, us. pleasure. Thank you very much. That is uh, George Dugdale from BT Sport. And before we move on to the big weekend review, a couple of bits of business. DC Audible. Yes. And I'm staring at audible.co.uk slash going up as we speak. Great place to be staring. Very much so. Looking at the best sellers in all categories bit. Once you get past your Dan Brown, Inferno, Bridget Jones and, and Bill Bryson, you've got Alex Ferguson, centre screen, staring back at me. His autobiography, the biggest selling non-fiction book of all time, I think, in the UK. Really? Since, since official records began. That um, might not be correct. Oh, yeah, it's something similar. Okay. Uh, oh, yeah, it is definitely yeah, correct. I know what I'm talking about. Yeah. But, embarrassingly enough, for Alex Ferguson, there has been found to be 45 factual errors in the book and one person that uh, wrote into the publishers has been given a refund. I did see that well, in the paper yeah, today. I yeah. saw a couple of those like Yap Stam he said it went yeah. to like so hear off. them f- he hear got, them he for yourself. Wrong. He got the year two, he was two years wrong about the when he got his um, pacemaker fitted. <laughs> <laughs> you should remember. <laughs> you think so. So um, get on there and listen to those mistakes on the audiobook is what you're saying. Yeah. So if you want this free one-month trial uh, with 80,000 books to uh, pick from, uh, go to audible.co.uk slash going up. It's a brilliant offer. Get on there right now. Please go to audible.co.uk slash going up. Secondly, we were talking about the pitch at Charlton last week on the show, mm. if you remember. Uh, Paul, oh, Gl- yeah, I know he is Paul, Paul Glover, the uh, pre-game DJ at the Valley, got back to us on Twitter. Uh, he talked about the water. He says he thinks the water doesn't drain away due to the ground being on an old chalk pit and reports of financial cutbacks. Uh, so not taking as many layers off during the summer. It's too late to do anything about it now. The pitch ended up in a bad state last season too. So now we know. Good. So that was uh, Paul who got in touch this week. There. At Wagyu Podcast to get in contact with all your pitch we details. We've not, not found out whether it's in a valley yet. No, he didn't get back to us on that bit. Okay. Paul, you know what to do this week. Yeah. Um, right, let's uh, start our sort of uh, roundup of what's been going on. Uh, well, should we start with the thing we started the show with, the stadium issue? Derby County getting a bit of stick for uh, renaming their ground oh, to the okay. iPro Everyone's Stadium. At it, yeah. We've renamed our stadium to the JD Stadium because JD Sports are piling in with a sponsorship, yeah, but they're exactly. a very company, big company. I don't have a problem well, there with you it. Go, Mark. Yeah, th- let's ask you. I think you're it's you're great. A fan I think of a team that's affected by when, you, when you get gates of less than 3,000 like we do, you need some way of making money. So you can't have a pop at the board for trying to make money in different ways and who cares because like we just we've just shown from that thing at the, the top of the show most people don't even know what they're called these new, let, new no, stadiums let's so. be honest you'll still call it Gig Lane absolutely you know, all yeah. your mates will still call it Gig Lane well it was never really lane. like it was on Gig Lane exactly. that's why it's called Gig Lane it was never actually the ground was, the stadium was never actually called Gig Lane it's just on Gig Lane you see people like Ollie Holt bleating on about this on oh, Twitter saying yeah. oh you know people need to treat uh, heritage with more respect and all this sort of stuff like it doesn't matter like you just said Gig Lane will always be called Gig Lane to those to 
to those fans. Pride Park will always be Pride Park. Park. And that's what it is. That's what people will call it as. But all it is on the matchday programme, in the reports before and after the game, it will be called the Proac Stadium or or the JD Stadium, whatever it is, you know. And and that's all it is. Just a way to make a bit of money, which is what something like Berry and any any club, no matter how big or small you are, you all need more of it. You mentioned as well, it's it's a relatively local company. JD as well and it's not like it's you know a company which uh, it's sports, it's not, it's a sports not, company so shirt sponsors you have like betting companies absolutely yeah. good, for clubs, companies. good for the business not, good for everyone yeah. I think we've nailed that one done it's done good. move on uh, wouldn't be too happy if Swindon changed <laughs> no, no. game of the weekend <laughs> Bradford 3 Coventry 3 Oof. Sunday afternoon superb ad- advert for uh, League 1 and absolutely well I say it? superb was it? there was some pretty, pretty awful bad defending. refereeing but yeah no the first 10 minutes were incredible I mean Coventry Absolutely flew out of the blocks. Could have been more than three all as well, really, couldn't it? Absolutely. Um, got to talk about Callum Wilson's goal. The winning, when it wasn't near, nearly the winning goal in the end. Absolutely fantastic strike. And those two up front, Clark and Wilson, have been superb. Yeah, yeah I was chatting to a Coventry fan earlier, and he was talking in still very steadfastly uh, pessimistic terms, but <laughs> you know, born out of the, the years of mediocrity that they've experienced. But you know, if they manage to keep hold of those two. Uh, Wilson probably being the more uh, sellable asset, I suppose, given yeah. given Clark's sort of history. Um, if they can keep hold of those two, then you know they they really do have a chance. So I can see them really pushing up to get into the playoffs. I know they're still away behind because of the deduction, but you know they are absolutely on fire those two at the moment. And you know Bradford. Naki Wells well, it's coming wondering. back into the game yeah, yeah. Naki Wells another, uh, he's another player that you, you have yeah. to look at and say could have had four that free kick which yeah. hit the bar mm. it was absolutely superb performance um, him and Hanson are a good, they're a good mm. uh, strike force aren't they they are however we should say that the uh, Bradford defender McArdle who made a couple of errors his first two goals he was in Turkey with Northern Ireland on Friday so it's no wonder his mind wasn't quite on the job he probably yeah. only just got back and the other thing to talk about is Parkinson against Presley did you see that at the end? Spot of handbags, wasn't it? Um, I, I, I fancy Stephen Presley in that kind of scenario. Well, he was less. Cinema, he was less than complimentary about Bradford's style of play in his post-match interview. Little dig in the first answer. He was sort of saying, "Well, we had to deal well with all their facets of play. In fact, no, they've only got one facet, and that's the long ball." Yeah, well, they've used it to great effect, haven't they? Last season, and they've got big James Hansen up front. They've got the pace of Naki Wells, and you've got to play to your strengths. Indeed. Top of League One at the end of the weekend, Wolverhampton Wanderers. Might not be the last time we say that this season. And um, because of that Orient defeat, Wolves have gone top. And uh, as we speak, Peter were playing at Walsall as well as we record this and losing 2 0. So it's just gone 2 0, haven't they? Walsall. Great weekend Another for goal. Wolves so far. Um, yes. Who got that 1 0 victory at Notts yeah, County? And by all accounts, I was sort of following the progress of, of this game on Saturday because I, I had uh, had both teams to score actually in a bet um, and it seemed like a lot of the Notts County fans on Twitter were actually quite pleased after the game with their performance that they, they seemed to uh, be quite complimentary about the levels of determination that have been on display since Sean, uh, Sean Derry came in but obviously you're playing against the team that's now top of the league one of the best teams in the league Wolves and they did enough they got the goals from a set piece in the end wasn't it yeah, we got the Ethan goal. Ethan Ebanks Landell, and they and they held on. Ethan Ebanks Landell. I saw a remarkable number of people on Twitter assuming that uh, he was just somehow related to, to um, Sylvan Ebanks Blake. Blake. No, he is at all. No, no, he was he was at Bury last season actually on loan. Part of our defence which got relegated, which doesn't bode that's his, well. That's his first ever league start for, for mm. Wolves, wasn't it? Scored a goal. Sean Derry though, a three-two FA Cup defeat at Hartlepool, a five-one defeat at the Johnson's Paint Trophy at Oldham, and that defeat on Saturday. Welcome, <laughs> welcome to the job, Sean. <laughs> um, right, elsewhere at the weekend then. Um, it 
in uh, well hang on a minute look at this so I thought I'd sort of uh, read this fact out about League 2 we are obviously going to talk about how tight it is at the top there uh, but in the Championship the gap from the top of the division to the bottom is 25 points in League 1 it's 29 points and in League 2 it's 16 the whole division separated by 16 points it's a massive free for all basically yeah and, and it's brilliant as well isn't it I mean it's remember when League 1 was really tight like this last season you had all those sort of 8 teams in, in touch with Watermark promotion in about March still and uh, you could easily see that happening again again this season and it's changing every week Oxford United are the latest team to, to go on top you've got Chesterfield who sort of had that little sticky patch didn't they but they're, they're winning games again now Rochdale Fleetwood you know they lose to bottom club Northampton mm. Mm. Uh, last when they've been looking strong so as ever it's, it's unpredictable well, uh, and, it, and it's great and case in point I mean those teams you'd expect to be up there but then you go to teams like Dagenham Morecambe Brilliant. Wimbledon yeah. Dagenham who, are having a great yeah, season they may not maintain it but even still I mean that's an incredible Start to the season for their fans. And it gives teams like, um, you know, speaking to Jim earlier, like Torquay, like Acton, like Northampton, like Barry, Mark. There's clearly, there isn't much between the teams in, in this division. And if you can get momentum and confidence and belief, that that's the thing that's going to make the difference in when the margins are so fine. We've got a huge game against Cambridge in the Cup this week. So if we win, that will be on BT Sport against Sheffield yeah, United well, in the next round. Yeah, well, wasn't it, from the first yeah, time so round? That'll yeah. be probably tonight, as, uh, as you hear this, Tuesday night this week. And um, Speaking of AFC Wimbledon, they beat Portsmouth 4-0. Did you see Neil Ardley on Sky Sports News Saturday lunchtime? <laughs> Have you seen this? Yeah. It's brilliant. So uh, they... They don't cut to him for ages. I think like he'd been waiting there to do do a sort of piece of camera thing down from the ground. It was Adam Leventhal, and I can't remember who the co-presenter was, but it was definitely Adam Leventhal. And um, they went to him, and we've had about 20 seconds of the first question, massive sprinkler, sprinkler all over yeah, him. Yeah, I thought I heard about this. <laughs> Running away, yeah, and they, they, they were sort of trying to, trying to get him back, but no, he, he, he'd gone at that point. I did enjoy that on Saturday. Uh, what else in the weekend then? You'd well, think being manager of a club, he'd know where the sprinklers are on the pitch. He'd, that's he'd probably point. stand quite far away from it, but obviously not. So, Fen, top of the le- the form table in League Two, uh, DC, the team you tipped to uh, get relegated. <laughs> They're well, flying at the moment. But they could still get relegated, that's I exactly, suppose, given how close is, it is. That's exactly why. Um, also, Middlesbrough have got a new manager, which is uh, was a nice, wasn't it, after the show last week, and that is Aitor Karanka. Yes. Who Now, it's interesting, because when we had Anthony Vickers on, uh, from the Evening Gazette in Middlesbrough, we mentioned, didn't it? Didn't yeah. we, Tim, that he was favouring the betting? And Anthony was like, nah. Yeah, well, nah. well, what he did say, though, I remember asking him the question. He, he basically said, don't read too much into to the bookies' favourites. And and to be fair, Karanko kept, was, was favourite then, but he went out and came back in again. So that's fair uh, value in what he was saying. But he also said that Karanko had been to the club before. He had met the chairman. They certainly had been talking to him, you know, long in advance, not even necessarily with a, with a view to a managerial appointment, just to you know, in, in terms of good practice and, and speaking to people within the game. So it was clearly a relationship there. I think Mourinho has encouraged him to come mm. to English football and has, has sort of given Borough, vouched for Borough in terms that they're a good club that he'll get time at and they've got a good youth academy and a reasonable history over the last sort of 10 or 15 years. And, you know, he was also linked with Palace, wasn't he? And I think it's interesting that he's chosen to go to, if, if indeed he did have the opportunity to go to Palace, he's chosen to go to Middlesbrough, a club who aren't doing that well in the Championship at the moment, but perhaps he can see greater potential in their long-term future. Indeed, and I think that's pretty much it well, for this week's I've show. I've got a couple of other bits. Oh, go on, bumps. go on. Um, do you know, as we speak tonight, not only are Walsall playing Peterborough, uh, and on that game, we'll come back to that in a minute, something else I want to talk about about that game, but another game elsewhere tonight at Huish Park. Yes. Oh, yes. Yeovil against Latvia. Playing so, Latvia. T- tonight, as we record this, is yeah. obviously. It's currently goalless. Yeah. <laughs> you got a goal up, you got a score update thing yeah, going on there. Yeah, I'm following the uh, Yeovil Town's official fi- feed. Uh, not very many updates. It's obviously not a very good game. Only 1,500 turned up. 
uh, which I suppose isn't too bad actually. Uh, but nil nil as it stands at the moment. I would be interested to see the team uh, that, he, that Gary Johnson's put out tonight because I'm not sure, you know, in the, in the midst of a, of a hectic championship season where they're busting their guts to try and stay in the division that are friendly <laughs> on Tuesday night against his old mates well, from Latvia is necessarily what they what they need to be doing. But maybe if he's playing some youth players. Or well, Chris did say bad. last week that uh, I think only had one player that went away on international GC. So. Yeah, well, maybe they need the fitness then. They'll be sharp for the weekend. Well, he mentioned as well that it would be nice to see some of the old faces. And what have you? Bearing in mind, Gary Johnson was Latvia manager in 1999. Yeah. I don't think too many of the Latvian <laughs> team will still no. be playing. Peterborough. Anyway, back to Walsall, Peterborough. Not Peterborough. I don't care about. All uh, right, Walsall. Um, <laughs> Walsall. Isn't it nice to see Jay, James and Adam Chambers lining up in the same team? Identical twins. They are really yes. Uh, James Chambers, uh, who I've got very fond memories of as a Watford player, scored a, absolutely one of the most ridiculous. It was fluky goals you'll ever see in the player final against Leeds I mean he, he, he almost did deserve to not be his goal really it, it, was, it took so many deflections and bounces <laughs> after he left his boot that it was a, it was a crime but uh, great memories nonetheless and yeah he's, his, his brother they both started at West Brom together way back when under Gary Megson I think and now they are finally united playing together once more so good luck all the uh, radio commentators the in the, the West Midlands the, the, silver chill, uh, the silver brothers <laughs> yes um, okay before we go uh, thank you very much to everyone who's voted for us so far in the FSF Awards 2013 if indeed you have if indeed you have if you haven't this is where you should do it wherever you are stop what you're doing if you're sat on the train right now listening to this got your phone in your hand you can vote on your phone if you sat listening to us in the office vote there um, and some on the other computers yes no but something we found out are we allowed to see? I think we're allowed, we're allowed to say to. this. It's every man for himself. Yeah, this, this, yeah, this is war. We're taking the, the, we're this taking is the might yeah. of the, the podcasting world. Yeah, so if you watch The X Factor Strictly Come Dancing, you can vote more than once. And you can Absolutely. So basically, in the best podcast... Uh, I saw a poster in, in Waterloo Tube Station for one of the X Factor people. So someone had just knocked it up on, you know, like almost uh, from a distance, almost like a lost cap. <laughs> right. It was literally someone just written a phone number and printed off a black and white picture yeah. of one of the X Factor contestants and stuck it up in Waterloo Tube Station saying vote for Maybe we should do that. Was. I was going to say, we should start getting so, involved. Best podcast category at the uh, Football Sports Federation Awards. You can still vote right now. Yeah. We're up against the, the big guns, but we found out that... Um, well, well, Yeah, I learned this... Um, from your sister. Yeah, my sister told me this. Um, she got all her uh, mates at work to vote. She said, if you, if you just delete uh, the cookies and history... On uh, your computer, you can just vote again, and because when you go well, to sod the rest of it, we don't need to do it. Carl, yeah. what are you doing for when, the next three weeks? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in a room. When you go to fsf.org.uk forward slash awards, um, when you click on it, when you vote in, it'll just take you back to the homepage. It'll yeah. automatically take you there. But when you delete the no, history, we'll win. It'll be a hollow victory, but we don't care. <laughs> Doesn't matter. <laughs> Um, that's it for now you can go look at the blogs at wearegoingup.co.uk uh, soundcloud.com slash waggypodcast and twitter is at waggypodcast and he's got his hand up again there's another thing I was going right. to I was going to talk about that I've forgotten about and again it's to do with Yeovil do you know they're setting up their own girl group yeah what Yeovil Town you I'm can't like, drop got, this bombshell right at the end I've got, I've got another bombshell as well together their own girl, girl band um I don't really know why, but that's what they're doing. More on that next week, yeah. maybe. Uh, Carl? Yeovil have just lost 1 0 to that. Oh, it's a late goal. No. It's yeah. all changed. They hadn't won a single away fixture in 13 games, Latvia, until tonight. I don't know if this counts as a full international, I must admit. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll speak to you in seven days' time. This is the We Are Going Up podcast. We've got the Football League covered. Yeah.